Hello, everybody. I'm Kyle, your host for the Practical Sales Podcast, part of Atlanta Growth Solutions and our How's It Growing blog. We help companies in growth mode or those who are struggling with sales growth by generating qualified leads into their top target accounts. We also offer growth readiness training for management teams and sales certification for all experience levels. Today's guest on the podcast is Chris Foreman, the CEO of AppCast. Chris has built three companies and has been part of the leadership team for one other, all of which have been sold or acquired. He knows how to build a business that can sell a solution, and he joins me today to discuss healthy sales organizations and what businesses and sales leaders should be looking for as they grow their sales operations. So without any further delay, let's jump right in. Chris, it's a true pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for making the time to share some of your knowledge and experience with us. Anytime, Kyle. So you are the founder and CEO of AppCast, which is a programmatic job advertising software solution, which sells primarily B2B. So let me start by asking, how is it growing at AppCast uh, when you look at past year? It's been growing really well. Um, so we founded the business in, in 2014, um, you know, in a, about a 10 by 10 foot room on the, the third floor of an old mill building. And, you know, in the tech space, there are really cool old mill buildings that, you know, have been completely renovated and, and are hip and neat. This isn't one of those. This is just <laughs> an old mill building. And uh, the room smelled like a hockey bag. And, um, uh, you know, from from a handful of people there, we're we're now about 175 folks um, since we founded the business. You know, the first three or four years we were growing, you know, multiples of hundreds of percents per year. Um, as we've gotten larger, you know, this year we'll do about 60 million dollars in revenue. Um, you know, it's it's closer to 50 percent, and we're we're looking at doing that um, this year as well, which is pretty um, which is pretty remarkable the team has built a business that is you know every day i wake up and kind of shake my head about you know how it continues to make the table levitate um covid hit the recruitment advertising business really really hard um you know obviously uh, uh most of the developed economies around the world uh stopped aggressively hiring people Mm -hmm. and and when you're selling job ads which is effectively um you know what we do and managing job ads uh if you don't have to hire anybody you don't gotta buy job ads and so (laughs) in in the united states i mean you saw most of the major you know jobs platforms have layoffs you know report double digit you know revenue drops um you know for us uh, uh we've continued to grow um and you know, part of that is uh, every once in a while, a blind squirrel finds a nut. Um, part of it is also we're just so small um, compared to the five billion dollar space that exists in the U.S. that, um, you know, we can we can bob and weave, um, you know, well enough to continue to find, uh, you know, veins of of growth. Um, part of it is, is that uh, we were we were pretty darn lucky with um the makeup of our customer base. Um, we oversample for healthcare. We oversample for companies that are in the e-commerce supply chain. And both of those did really well during COVID. And, and part of it is, you know, just, uh, you know, the, the, the product folks, the dev folks, the salespeople here uh, just executed out of their minds and just did a fantastic job. That's really good to hear. $60 million in revenue after six years with over 100% growth for those first few is really impressive. Thank you. I'm sure it's been a wild ride. 
It has been. It has been. I'm uh, 50 years old and my uh, my hair is as white as a 75 year old. Um, so, yeah. Um, uh, in That's fact, a sign of good work. Well, I don't know about that, but when I went and got my uh, driver's license renewed about a year ago, they officially changed my hair color from brown to gray, and uh, that took the steam out of me for a while. So, uh, oh, no. but anyway, yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Okay. Okay. So the reason why we've, or I've got you here today is I really want to talk about the structure of the sales organization and the sales approach, go-to-market strategy that you have built with AppCast and some of the other companies you've been a part of um, over the past over the past six years. So when you guys started in that 10 by 10 space that you say smelled like a hockey bag, what was your sales strategy and your go-to-market approach that you were using at that time? Yeah. So um, if we wind up a little bit about my history, you know, I've spent about 20, 25 years in the recruitment technology space, working with a group of people that we have flowed through, you know, four companies together. Um, and so we, there's a bunch of us that have done this before. And what that means is we kind of have customers and relationships built in. Every time we build a new business or a new product, we got a group of people that we can go to and say, hey, it's us again. You want to try this out? And they, you know, say, sure. So at a particular level, we have a built-in advantage, which is one of the reasons why we as a group have collectively decided to spend our careers in this space is that um, these relationships and market knowledge represent a barrier to entry as well as kind of an unfair competitive advantage compared to folks that come from another industry and come into ours to try and build and innovate. Um, so what we did, you know, quite candidly in the first year was we picked up the phone to people that we knew. Um, and and that helps, right? That helps you, you get off the ground. But, um, you know, after that, uh, Again, one of the threads through all the businesses that we as a group have, have developed is that um, they've all been informed by data um, and uh, they've all been built around a, a, a series of data-driven you know, best practices. And so we're big fans of content marketing. Mm -hmm. So what we started to do right out of the bat was start to write white papers and do webinars and create reports from the data that our platform was generating and give those things away for free. And, you know, in the recruitment um, and, and HR space, there is seemingly an insatiable uh, desire from decision makers to read about what other people are doing and endeavoring to find benchmark data. So, you know, we, we, we did that. We would get people's names, they would download our benchmark report, the benchmark report or the white papers were always thematically in line with the value proposition of what we were, uh, of the software that we've built. And, um, you know, we, uh, we just call them. <laughs> so not horribly sophisticated. Um, you know, one of the, one of the hallmarks of, a of an early stage entrepreneur typically is, is that we are all generalists, right? Um, I know enough about sales and marketing to be dangerous. I know enough about product to be dangerous. I know enough about technology to be dangerous, but I'm not an expert in all those. What really allowed us to scale um, was when, you know, after really three years, um, we had built a business of, you know, the, you know, five, six million dollars in revenue. And, you know, it was a real business. Like we were beyond the stage of saying, hey, is this thing just going to fold up in a week? Because, you know, we got it wrong. Um, you know, it was a legitimate, real business that we knew wasn't going to go away. 
And that's, you know, when we started to, to have discussions around how do we scale. And, you know, the, the other part of being a good entrepreneur is knowing um, your limitations and what you are good at and what you're not good at. And that's when I um, brought on a, um, you know, a, one of, uh, you know, my business partners, um, who's uh, uh, Chris Cummins, um, you know, who may have been on one of your uh, other podcasts. He has to, just recently. Yeah, yeah to, to really bring, um, you know, a very well-designed, thoughtfully built, aggressive go-to-market program that involved, you know, channel, that involved business development, that involved, you know, coordinated lead generation, that involved enterprise sales, that, that kind of built everything around it. So I'll be candid, up, up, to, up to the first few years, um, we, we, um, we did content marketing and we had fantastic people that knew how to sell enterprise deals to this marketplace. But um, but Chris was what allowed us to to you know kind of scale our sales and marketing operation to allow us to get to the growth to where we're at today. So when inevitably when you first started, there was going to come a time when the amount of friendlies that you guys had from your previous uh, previous careers, previous businesses were going to not necessarily dry up, it become less frequent. So you're using you were using at that point a strategy of content creation, inbound leads, and then going after those inbound leads to generate new revenue. And also just cold calling and, 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 you know, LinkedIn and, and basically, you know, kind of digging, you know, gold out of the hills. Um, and so it, uh, nothing, nothing wild and crazy, nothing horribly strategic. What it was, was exceptional tactics. Um, so, so, um, you know, our, that first team um, led by Nancy Cromwell just, um, you know, was exceptionally well led um, and exceptionally well put together around, you know, the the kind of hard scrabble tactical sales stuff that gets, you know, an organization off the ground. And, and you know, the success of those first three years is not to be underestimated. You know, one of the things that, you know, high growth organizations kind of have a couple points of pivot where they can either succeed and put themselves on a trajectory to future performance or they can go sideways and clearly the you know the first one is can you build a product and there is their product market fit and you can typically validate that without necessarily a ton of sales and marketing the second thing that you're going to you know need to do is assuming you have product market fit you got to get people to go pay you for that software and they got to start to really use it. And you need to find out if this was a flash in the pan or if this is something that is real. And those two things are where the vast majority of, of tech companies kind of, you know, crash on the rocks. Then, you know, you got to build for scale. And oftentimes that you don't see abject failure at this stage in an organization. Like if you have good product market fit, if you've gotten a good core of customers, but you just get scaling wrong, what you end up doing is wasting a ton of money and, and um, you know, not getting what you want out of it. So oftentimes you see businesses go sideways there versus up. Um, but that's, you know, one of the next pivot points. So when, when we look at just that early stage of AppCast, um, yeah, I know you've sort of already said it, but my next question was going to be, what, what part of that go-to-market strategy would you have considered to be indispensable? Was there one thing that you could put your finger on? Oh, yeah. It's Nancy Cromwell. One person. Okay. And, and you know, <laughs> how, how, do, how do other companies find Nancy Cromwell? Well, um, I don't know. Um, but 
one of the the key you know elements of of success in an early stage business is getting people to make an irrational professional decision right um you know so nancy was you know one of the top sales reps at adp she you know had worked for me before um uh at a company that was you know acquired by a company that was then acquired by adp um you know top of her game and and she made the irrational decision to give that up to come you know be employee number two at at appcast and um you know we also had a whole cohort of of folks that um made slightly less irrational decisions because they were earlier in their career but in the beginning i would sit them all down and i'd say here's the deal i know i can pay you for three months after that um who knows what's going to happen and now if we look around our organization i mean we've got this this cohort of 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 you know incredible professionals that have come up through our organization spent six seven years here running large swaths of the organization quite candidly you know at, at this stage many of them were hired right out of college um wouldn't have this type of responsibility at a quote-unquote grown-up company but they they came they made an rational decision they kicked butt and did an awesome job and now you know they've got the experience you know, they don't have these jobs just because they were here early. They've got the experience and the success and the capability to lead massive teams. And so, um, so I don't know. I mean, what makes people, you know, take a job like that when they could have, you know, stayed safe and gotten paid really well or, or you know, gone to work for, you know, uh, Google or something like that? I mean, half of some astronomical number, I don't know what it was, but like of our early employees are like valedictorian at their college. I mean, so super smart folks. Um, and I think it's probably a combination of number one, they are predisposed to wanting to work in this type of environment, right? Number two is they were motivated by the mission and the focus of what we were trying to do. Um, and, uh, you know, Number three is they got a screw loose. And, 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 you know, honestly, I've got a screw loose. Um, you know, my, my concept, like the, 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 the genetic thing that, that, that allows you to understand risk and reward is all messed up with me. Like in my normal life, like I'm scared of heights and, you know, I, I, I'm a really, really conservative person, but like when it comes to work, you know, I've always said, all right, well, we're going to try this. And if it doesn't work, I, I guess I can go get a real job. Or, you know, the worst thing is, is that we lose a bunch of money and money isn't that important. And so, you know, I just love the game. And um, now it's easy for a 50 year old white guy to say that because, you know, I've got a lot of mm -hmm. advantages on my side, but um, you got to have a screw loose. So I guess really what it is, is it's about having the right opportunity and finding people that are awesome that also just happen to have a screw loose. Okay. So maybe now let's compare and contrast early stage of AppCast to current stage of AppCast in terms of size of the sales organization and maybe just a quick overview of some of the channels that you guys implement currently. Yeah. Just to get um, so, you know, in the beginning, I mean, clearly it started with one or two people. Um, now, um, I think we've got about 23 enterprise reps. Um, we've got, you know, uh, broken down into... Um, uh, a couple of teams um, with leaders, and we've got an, uh, a channel sales organization that works with recruitment advertising agencies. 
Um, we have sales engineers that support them. Um, we've got a 10 person, uh, BDR team that kind of qualifies inbound marketing leads and makes outbound calls to feed the enterprise sales team. Um, we have an international sales group that specializes in selling our international products. It's a layover sales organization. Um, and then we have a separate, but, you know, very integrated marketing function that has about five or six people that, um, you know, focuses on lead generation and branding from the beginning of AppCast to now, have your target customers or the problems that you're helping them solve, have they changed relative, like at all? Or no. have they stayed relatively the same? We, we are... Same problem. Same problem. We're, we're, uh, we're not one of these companies that pivots. Um, you know, I, uh, same problem, same basic approach. It's one of the rare, you know, kind of venture-backed startup stories where, um, like, our investment thesis is still what we're operating against. That's impressive for six years down the yeah, road. Yeah, we're super, super lucky. Um, okay, so in our prep call, you had mentioned the concept to me of what makes you successful at one stage could kill you at the next. How how do you how do you apply that to what AppCast has gone through in the last six years? Yeah, um, you know, so this is, um, you know, kind of uh, old guy. You know, I, I don't know if it's wisdom or just you know. Um, uh, I've failed so many times that, um, you know, this has been tattooed on, onto my arm. Um, and I don't want to sound like an angry guy sitting in a lawn chair yelling at kids to get off the lawn, but you know, there's, there's a few things that, that are organizing principles for me at this stage in my career. Um, you know, so the first one is what makes you successful at one level kills you at the next. So, um, you know, when we started the business, um, I'll use the the technology analogy. Like we we prototyped our product and we took it to market with a handful of customers. You know, in our first month we did three thousand three hundred dollars worth of revenue, and we were pumped by that. Um, and uh, but what we basically did was we sold uh, a piece of software that was not even half baked. It was like a quarter baked. I mean, springs <laughs> were popping out of this thing every single day. We were running around with duct tape trying to keep it working. And um, we were doing code pushes, you know, to update the software four or five times a day. Um, wow. Now, with with, you know, we have five hundred million dollars worth of, of recruitment advertising spend flowing through our software right now. Um, if, in fact, we were doing four or five code pushes a day, you know, we're down to um, one or two a week. Um, every time you make a change to a code base everything, you know, you have the opportunity for it to explode. And when you're managing that much money, um, if the software explodes, that can be a really expensive day, right? A really expensive day for, mm. for your clients, but also for us, because, you know, we're, we feel accountable to that. So in a very simple way, um, you know, incredibly rapid prototyping of software is absolutely a requirement in the beginning because it would cost you 10x to build a stable code base early in the business's existence. And you would have a almost approaching 100% chance of building the wrong thing without the feedback from customers. So what you end up having to do is you end up having to ship half-baked software and fixing it really quickly and iterating. Now, at this stage in our development, we would lose all of our enterprise customers if we did that. Right. Mm. So, I mean, at a very simple level, what kills you at one level, you know, what makes you successful at one level kills you at the next. You know, the same thing goes with um, with the sales marketing side. I mean, if from the beginning, 
what we did was, you know, we built a BDR team and we, you know, we had um, a large marketing team and, and we had, you know, very clear divisions of labor. Two things would happen, bad things happen. Number one is we as an organization would not learn quickly enough what our customers are saying and why they're interested in our products. Until you understand that as a founder or a head of sales, you know, having, you know, a BDR do it, you're just, you're, you're cutting off your intelligence. You, you need to hear their voices. You need to know, you, you need to hear their intimation when you talk to them to be able to craft a repeatable business process. Okay. But at the same time, if you, if I was still on sales calls, you know, three years later, I'm doing something wrong, right? You need to be able to pass along and you need to be able to create a repeatable business process for people to, to follow. Otherwise your business will never scale. Um, the other part of it, so, so that's one issue. Um, the other issue is you just don't have that, that much money. Um, you know, uh, so leading into my second kind of truism about um, startups and, 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 and early stage growth businesses is that constraint drives innovation. Said differently, if you have too much money early on, you get stupid. Like, like 100%, you're dumb. Because, you know, it's so easy to solve a problem by just saying, oh, go hire somebody or go spend some money on this. You think you're solving the problem, but what you're doing is you're just being lazy and you're missing, you're not doing the work that needs to be done to make a successful business. So when you read about all these companies that raise $100 million, you know, in their first round, which doesn't happen very often these days because people know it's dumb unless it's like a biotech firm where you need to go build like a, you know, technology that to, to do something, or you're building a car battery firm. If you're building software, that's like, I would run away from that investment as quickly as possible because it just makes people dumb. Um, and, you know, constraint also is something that, you know, drives a lot of innovation when you say, okay, you have an irrational timeline. We need to get this done by this time so that we can do this. Well, we can't get it done. Okay, figure it out. Well, what do you mean figure it out? I'm like, figure it out. And, and you know, what it does is it forces people to, to focus on the essence of what it is and you get rid of the other stuff. And so, um, you know, whether it's a constraint of money or it's a constraint of time or it's a constraint of resource, you know, people resources, Something else besides understanding that the organization needs to change at different levels is 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 kind of until you get to the point of scale, right? Where you know you know that the the CAC LTV ratio of of um, your investments in your go to market program, if you put a dollar in to customer acquisition costs, you get three dollars out in terms of lifetime value. Until you get to that point in time, you got to constrain everything. Once you get to that point in time, that's where all of a sudden you go to the bank and you borrow a billion dollars and you, you basically just start throwing cash at that until you start to find the diminishing return on the CAC LTV scale. Do you have a CAC LTV number that you look to go at? Or yeah, you know, typically, I think if you look at the in the software space, you want to see, um, you know, definitely a sub 12 month CAC LTV payback. Um, for SaaS software, you know, best in class is six months. Um, and, you know, but that's at scale. Early on, you can't use that same math per se. It's it's all goofy. Mm -hmm. um, it's either zero, like really low, because you don't really have salespeople. You've just got founders doing stuff. Or it's super, super high. 
And so, you know, what you should be doing is you should be tracking that. You should not be telling yourself mistruths by not burdening it well enough, right? So it's like, well, that's not really sales expense. And oh, that's not sales expense. Look at that. Look, we're, we got a great payback. Bullshit. You know, you, you know, if you, uh, you lie to yourself, you're going to fail. So um, making sure that it's appropriately burdened. So looking at the current sales operation at AppCast, is there something at this point that you would say is indispensable? One, one component of it or a, or a strategy that you guys no, are implementing currently? I mean, or has it, has it really changed? Oh, it much? has. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly you know, um, integrated, highly sophisticated, data-driven you know, kind of sales and marketing operation. Um, you know, I want it to be better every single day. Um, who doesn't, right? But um, this is this is very different than us starting in startup world, um, you know, with five people in a small room. And so, you know, Chris and his leadership team, you know, do an exceptional job of hiring folks, training them, putting them into positions of, uh, for the opportunity of success, instrumenting their work so that we know what's working and what isn't working. And, you know, we still continue to iterate, um, not as fast as we did in the early days, because that would cause most people to lose their minds um, because change hmm. is, is hard for organizations. Um, but, you know, we're, you know, like right now, we're in the process of, of looking at our go-to-market for 2021, or at least the first six months of 2021. And this is always a painful time of year because we have a pretty good discipline of, of questioning everything. So, you know, um, a lot of, you know, we have a lot of meetings where people are saying, hey, this works. Why are we questioning whether or not it's the right thing to do? Well, can we make it better? You know, is this is this mm. the right use of capital? What if we took this money and spent it over here? You know, I, I also believe that, you know, inertia um, oftentimes leads to complacency. Complacency leads to organizations not being at the top of their game. Very well said. So when we when we look at businesses in your in your type of space, software as a solution, business to business uh, sales, sales strategies, what would you say are the top two or three components of those businesses that that you would evaluate them as really healthy? Like they have a really healthy sales organization. They're in a similar space as us. Are there two or three things that you would look at either internally at AppCast or outside that would help indicate that for you? Oh, well, it's hard. Um, you know, that's probably a, a better question for, for a specialist. What I look for in terms of, you know, you know, you've got a good sales and go to market operation when the business grows, right? Um, business growing can be measured both through your understanding of, of, you know, how well they're doing, you know, uh, sometimes analyst reports, sometimes something else, but you can also track it by headcount. You can also track it if they're in your same space, how often they show up in a competitive report from a customer. Um, I tend to also measure, um, uh, uh, look at churn. Organizations that have really good sales and marketing um, operations don't churn good people on a regular basis. Right. You always expect some level of churn, but you want you want a place, a place that's doing it right. Keeps people happy. Right. Sales reps want to, mm -hmm. you know, they want to win. They want to sell. They want to make money. And if they're making money, but they lose all the time, the best ones are going to leave. 
And if they're making money and they win all the time, but it's a total drag, they're going to leave. If they're not making money, they're going to leave. <laughs> so like those three things all go together. Right. And, and so I guess that's the other way that I would. Okay. So yeah. Employee, employee churn as a, as a, as a component of overall sales health, that's a really, really interesting way to, uh, to look at how successful your sales organization might truly be. So Chris, uh, as you know, this is the practical sales podcast. So I would love to have one practical takeaway from you, uh, that we can, uh, send out to our business and sales leaders. money now. So, um, okay. yeah, so, Could you, elaborate? So, you know, I, uh, again, in, 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 in growth businesses, um, you know, you get a lot of smart people and a lot and smart people oftentimes, um, uh, overthink stuff. Okay. So, you know, uh, building a product, going to market, trying to find product market fit, you know, what is working, what isn't working, you know, a lot of people can spend a lot of time talking themselves into circles. And I happen to be one of them. One thing I have found to be true 100% of the time is if a customer writes a check for something, that's a good thing. And if you go sell something that day, that's a good thing. And when you have customers that buy things and actually write legitimate checks for them, it, it is an incredibly clarifying situation, right? You know, it tells you that your product and your value proposition is worthwhile. And, you know, if in fact they leave you and you talk to them and say, why'd you leave? They say, well, you said this to me and then the product did that. Um, even if what the product did was good, you know, the, the metaphor I always use is if somebody orders a hamburger and you give them a taco, it could be the best freaking taco in the world, but they wanted a hamburger and they, they're not going to be happy with the taco because they wanted a hamburger. That's what they ordered. And so it's, it's like, it tells you something. And so, um, I, whenever I talk to, to sales folks, I, I always thank them for paying my salary in our organization. And I always say, listen, go find some money right now, because when you find money right now, not only does it pay everybody's salary here, but it helps us get better. Everything starts with a sale. I love that. That is one of the best takeaways I've heard so far on the podcast. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. really appreciate you uh, talking about uh, the history of AppCast from the 10 by 10 gym bag to, uh, to where you guys have built this to now. Um, really impressive story. Thank you so much for taking yeah, the time cool. with us today. Thanks so much. Thank you again to Chris for joining me today. Check out AppCast. If your organization faces any challenges with job advertising or recruiting, you can find them at appcast.io. And that's it for this week's episode. Remember, what was said here today does not need to just stay between us. If you have someone in your network that leads a sales team and may benefit from one of our episodes, please share the Practical Sales Podcast with them. Our free sales organization health assessment is still available on the front page of our website. Healthy sales organizations know where they are strong and also where they have room for improvement. You can take the assessment in under 10 minutes and receive back your overall health score, which will highlight the areas you may want to focus on heading into 2021. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for myself, Kyle Holder, or Atlantic Growth Solutions to dive into more B2B sales content and send us any questions that you may have. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening.